Please note, this episode contains some strong language. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. I always feel like I should really just start recording from the top because we've already had like a lovely conversation and the audience just don't get privy to that. You know, I now know what Alistair Heather drinks on a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind telling them. It's just my home-brewed vodka. Maybe <laughs> patties in my bath. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, Alistair, welcome. Welcome to the Brawn the Brave. Hey, 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 here we go. Alistair, I've just been really keen to speak to you for some time now. Um, I'm not quite sure when or where I discovered you. I think it was on the telly. But you, you seem to be everywhere, this is the thing, because you, Alistair Heather, are a writer, producer and presenter and a man of many talents. And um, I'm just really, initially just really interested in where your passion for communication and for connection comes from. Oh, that interesting first question. Where my passion for communication? Uh, honestly, um, I think it comes from my, uh, my granddad and my mum. Like, my grandparents were actually... I hope it's okay saying this. It's not a secret. But uh, my granny was a Protestant, my granddad was a Catholic, right? Uh, so they're both, uh, my granny's fake Kalbach and my granddad's fake the Gorbals. But because they were fake different sides of the sectarian divide, they came over after they got married. They came to stay with my great aunt in Manifith. So they graduated to the East Coast. And uh, so, my, but my granddad was hands down. He lived the rest of his days. They both lived the rest of their days in Carnoustie. Uh, and he was hands down the funniest man in Karusti because Ouija's are just funnier. And he used to say he was uh, uh, vaccinated with a gramophone needle because he he wouldn't stop blethering. His chat was phenomenal. Like he was a great raconteur, a great storyteller, a great bringer together of people. Like folk loved being around him. He loved being around folk. He ran a running club. He was part of a golfing crew. He was always out chatting. He's got, he wrote an autobiography near the end of his life. He lived till 99 and three quarters, and he spent wow. most of that time talking. Love that. Aye. And he was great. So I grew up totally, like, I spent my first year of life in his house. Uh, I lived with my grandparents. And um, so I grew up and, like, learned to walk in Carnoustie with just his open-door policy, everyone just coming in and out, chatting all the time, just kind of blethering away. And he was, like, in the sang in the local folk uh, group, doing the pub and all that kind of stuff. So just a hyper-social, hyper-social mm-hmm. upbringing with him. And my mum has... It, and it's, I've, all, I've always said it should, should turn it into a business, but she's the best anthropological interviewer I've ever met in that she just sits down with folk and they just tell their life story and she just sits and listens and she gets some of the most phenomenal chat out of folk. Like, so we grew up again, like, most, uh, so she's fake honesty. And just to give you an example, like there was an, a, an old boy um, used to live near us in the Fisher Houses doing the waterfront. Um we used to, like, he'd, go, he'd be the guy that'd go and get our ball out the nettles when we kicked it in the big nettle patch. Yes. Um, and he was, he was like this old guy, big raincoat on, welly boots, and he had his collie, and he was just kind of, like, fairly friendly. And mum sat down with him a cup of tea and got chatting. And then three hours later, she's like, 
oh, that man's lovely. Turns out that he took the uh, the front cover picture for the Beatles' Abbey Road album, Ken, that one with the cross in the road. And he just, this guy was the Beatles' official photographer for 20 years. He's just like biting in the hooses along for us and cursing out. Oh, my word, you could see my actual face. <laughs> That actual album cover has been discussed on this podcast before because I had a very fantastic photographer on the podcast and he was talking about the fact that one day he just realised that there was somebody else there when that photograph was being taken and it was the photographer and he was a postie at the time, Simon Murphy. It was on a postcard and he was posting it through somebody's letterbox right. and he just realised that this other person was there when the Beatles were walking across that famous road. And that's what inspired him to become a, a, a photographer. That's amazing. Oh, like, oh my word. I love that. That's the thing. Your mum should have a podcast. Why should she not get a podcast? Jeez, oh. My mum doesn't currently have the internet. So, I mean, that's 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 that's, that's one reason. Maybe that's um, her secret. She just, she just oh, learns she just from talks, the people man. she meets. Oh, but it's great. Like, I've been saying to her for a long time that, because she did for a wee while, I think it was early lockdown or something, she'd, uh, like, sit down and just record folk like just chat to folk record their life story and write it down and I was thinking a great business for her would be to I say business I mean like just in terms of like very much like something organized uh, for all the folk that can be with or all their relatives or bide somewhere else in the world mum can go around and do tiny autobiographies for folk can I like, go and sit listen to their life story and do like a wee 50 page autobiography just to record some of their stories for the future generations I reckon that's a that's a service. It is. And the thing about that is, you know, the joy of doing this podcast, I've realised, like, the importance of storytelling. And just you talking about your grandfather, like, it's, I mean, I can see how you've became the person that you are and, and your ability to communicate so beautifully is that that was just innate in you. That was just the norm for you. You were around someone, people that just told stories and enjoyed listening to stories as well. That's it. My granny... Um... My granny did have dementia for a few years, but uh, the most creative moment in her dementia when she was into her 90s, and this was a time when she was like, just, you know, like as Abdi does, like starting to fade a wee bit. Uh, she said, uh, I was chatting with my granddad in the living room in Carnoustie, and uh, she just goes, Alistair Heather is such a blether. On this, we can all agree. When Alistair Heather starts to blether, Abdi gets up and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and it was just like it was such, and she knew what she was doing and she was obviously here to joke with us and it's just very funny and very very cute you know that is like, so very, lovely. Very I think it's you know I've had the pleasure of working through my dance trip with people with dementia and, and their carers and their family members and um, when I see that power of connection and when you see that we spark whether it be a song or a poem um, you know a piece of music or just a wee story that can bring someone to life again when it very much feels like maybe they're for their family that they're away they're somebody else that is absolutely magical and I think that's the importance again of storytelling and trying to capture people's stories as well and put them out into the world and that's certainly what you do it's like I was reading your your LinkedIn earlier on and you said my passion is in giving a platform to smaller communities to empower them to tell their stories as widely as possible oh that's LinkedIn corporate chat I fundamentally agree with that but it sounds awfully like no, but when I read that, I was like, absolutely. I mean, everything about your LinkedIn is very impressive, but it's very real, Alistair. Like, when I was reading it, I felt like I was getting to know you even more. Like, it, it didn't come across as corporate chat, for sure. You know, you're growing up, you've got these storytellers in your life. Was there a plan for you to to go on and become this communicator, this presenter, this writer? I've got this opinion uh, that's formed fairly recently that... I got the unfair advantage of being uh, a male in a misogynistic uh, society, right? And that is 
Faye, when I was a young, like fairly young laddie, I was expected to represent the family. So in Scotland, obviously, we hate the, the tradition of day to turn. So when I was a bairn all the way through, you'd hate to learn poems and do sayings and stuff like that. And my mum was, all, all my community, I'm fair, I'm, I'm no fake artist, I'm fair, we village in rural Angus. And it's a very traditional place, lots of Scots sang, lots of Scots music. Like my next door neighbours would gather around with fiddles and songs of a Friday night and they had a wee putting green. So the old boys would like, just like somebody's back garden, they'd like, just like put some holes, play some fiddle tunes, hear a sing song, my mum would join them. Um, so, and my granddad sang in the folk band, as I say. Um, so we always did a turn. So you're kind of trained to engage with that kind of culture stuff at a young age. But um, I think that being a young man in this culture that we do exist in, um, you, I was I expected to speak at weddings and funerals and do readings. And so you, you naturally are trained up uh, as a young man into these mm. positions of prominence. And it's so, no, uh, absolutely not. Um, I was raised to leave, uh, was I the thing? My granny, I said to us when I was wee, wee, like, I love you, son, but there's nothing here for you. You'll have to go, go to Canada. Like, it was all, like, because it's fucking grown up skint in Scotland. like, uh, <laughs> my pal Graham always said correctly, if you're born Scottish, you're born fucked. And it is like, growing up in kind of like working class Scotland out the back, out the arse end of Dundee, there's nothing for you. There's nothing for you to do. There's no place for you. So it was a case of my, um, it was a case of emigrate. And uh, as soon as I left high school, it was like go to the call center, work for a bit, get enough money to move to New Zealand. There's like I, I didn't do very well high school. Call center wasn't much an inspiration. So got out, moved uh, moved mm. to New Zealand. I thought I'd never come come back to Scotland. And I worked as like a just a labourer and worked in like a sawmill and stuff. And worked in scaffolding for a time. But that's such a like. You know, to, to take that option, it's one thing being told that's what you should do. That's a big deal, like, to move across the world. Where do you think you got the confidence or the gumption to kind of do that? I don't know. I think it was just, um, I'd always been, like, growing up in uh, around kind of, uh, so I used to organise heavy metal gigs in uh, Dundee and our booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah when, I was, when I was a teenager, when I was still at high school. Because I realised, ah. if you're the gig promoter, nobody thinks you're under 18. So you can organise the gig and get leathered. Because uh, they assume sixteen-year-olds aren't organising gigs. Um, so I used to, I used to do a lot of sort of gig organising. I used to travel around the country, going to gigs in like Aberdeen and Glasgow and Arbroath and Forfar, and and so I always loved kind of moving about and meeting new people and that kind of stuff. So moving to New Zealand, it wasn't a it wasn't a scary man. I used to be I used to be frightened of Dundee. I didn't used to be frightened of New Zealand. To me, that's just super impressive. But to you, that was that was it. That was what was happening. That's that was the plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was. I certainly wasn't a, like a brave boy, but I did have an element of recklessness where I found some things really intimidating, but found stuff like that to be fine. Um, I, my uh, my claim to fame when I was a teenager was I got uh, the uh, so there's a bar in Dundee called the Balcony Bar, which is still open, um, and I used to drink in there a lot. And it's like a, it's called the Balcony Bar because like a mezzanine level, it's about fifteen foot up. And I was the first person ever to do a running dive off the balcony on the crowd during a metal gig. And after that, they, I got banned for life. <laughs> and uh, they put up like sort of, a, they had to put up like a mesh sort of ceiling to stop folks. You're a health again. and safety nightmare. Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck it. I was, about, I was about 16 year old, so I weighed about three stone four. I mean, like somebody just walking home for a little could have caught me in one of their shopping bags at that age. So it's no. <laughs> I love it. So what did you discover about yourself when you got to New Zealand that you didn't know? Uh, talk funny. Ah. Um, 
But no, I mean, New Zealand was great. New Zealand was a great place to go. Um, it's a tremendously, tremendously uh, safe place. So if you are cutting about being a bit reckless, chances of bad things happening is fairly low. Like in our growth being reckless, bad things can happen to you. Like being um, working class and vulnerable in Scotland, terrible things can happen to you. You can get in with the wrong crowd. You can get into you can get into drugs. You can get in a really serious drinking, all that kind of stuff. A lot of my pals got into, you know, relationships that are very negative and that kind of thing. Um, whereas in New Zealand... It was kind of all right. Like there wasn't anybody looking to take advantage of me. Um, I could find work because the two thousand eight recession that had made Dundee such a such a hard place to be uh, hadn't they hit New Zealand because they didn't have the same kind of credit uh, crunch that we had. So there's a lot more um, labour and work to pick up. So I could just travel about. I'd go to go to like Fungaray for a month and work there. And then I'd hitchhike down to the next town and work there for a month on like a vineyard or something. Then go and do three months at a, working at a youth hostel or whatever. I was a hoot, man. It was really, it was a really good place for me to kind of grow up. While you were there, was you know you were you kind of alluded to the fact that you spoke funny. Was that the first time that you were aware of your own language and how you? you did communicate and put yourself forward well I so I'd grown up being a, a lot of folk I can a lot of folk especially in Glasgow and stuff aren't aware that they speak Scots and they think they just speak English badly or whatever they think it's I wasn't like that like my primary school we won the the best Scots language school in Scotland when I was at primary Mr Henderson our teacher was dead into it like um he used to because he was he was fake Karnusti and they didn't speak the same Scots as we speak in the village. So he used to get older folk from the village in to make sure we spoke the right dialect, which I didn't anywhere because I, I left so long ago. But like so he, he we were getting this kind of cultural immersion intentionally and we were writing Scots stuff uh for a young age. My mum was very into it and my, my um my cousins are you know, very they were very heavily implicated in the first Scots folk revival of the seventies and eighties. They had like the, my uncle and his his band had loads of folk CDs out and stuff like that. Um, mm. So we were, I was very aware of Scots and English. Um, mm. But going to New Zealand, uh, it was that thing of even if I'm intentionally not speaking the Scots bits, even just like me saying bowl, they fucking pissed themselves, absolutely pissed themselves. And I did, that was the one bit I didn't like. I didn't enjoy being a foreigner. When I moved there, I wasn't going there on a holiday, wasn't going there a gap year. I was going there to become a New Zealander. I was going there to emigrate. Uh, that was me. And I just I just couldn't be anything other than a foreigner because of the way I spoke. So every time, they were all very friendly. Every time I went to a party, they're like, oh, it's a Scottish guy, eh, boo? And that's lovely. But after two years, like, man, I just, I just fucking live here, eh? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, yeah. But then it's funny, like, that here there there can still be that attitude and that's you know leading into your work in terms of Scots language and your passion for it and your your the work that you've done to champion it that even in Scotland our accent and the words that we use or some people use can be mocked so you come back from New Zealand why when it's when it's so good there was it was it just too too much to be a foreigner for too long I th- honestly, I think that part of the story is too long for our current. Uh, like, I was away for about seven years, and I lived in wow. I lived in uh, New Zealand and Australia. I lived in the Republic of Georgia for a year, working as a farmer and a part-time uh, teacher in a, like a rural. Aye, there's honestly there's way too much to get into. We're like so a I- whole podcast series in itself. <laughs> but no, so I ended up coming coming home uh, when I was about twenty three, and initially I was on the dole. Uh, I was on the dole in Dundee, and that was. Uh, you know exactly what I thought my life would be if it stayed in Dundee. So, uh, but me and my brother were both on the dole at the same time. We had quite, quite good fun. We found that you got free coffee at St Andrew's Library um, if you're looking looking for work, and you got a uh, one pound tickets to the Traverse if you're looking for work. 
uh, and you got free bus travel if you're looking for work. The folk at home kind of see that I'm doing the speech quotes around looking for work. Because, I mean, I did look for work, but there wasn't any, so might as well go to the Traverse for a quid. So we used to catch the bus across St Andrews and just write stories. And my brother was a, a, kid's, writer, a kid's fiction writer, and I'd just be writing, like, uh, um, I'd be writing basically non-fiction stuff, trying to, try to learn how to write, be a writer. That's and so, yeah. how you were just totally drawn to the storytelling again. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, like, 100%. Always, we both, like, my brother's the funniest man alive. Like, properly, properly funny. And so, yeah, we used to just go and crack each other up and write and try and get better. And I got a part-time job in a cafe at one point in Dundee. And so Chris would just come in and he'd eat for free and drink coffee for free all day. And just sit with his laptop on in a three-quid charity shop suit. Uh, like acted like a businessman. It was great, but yeah. So like, I think that's that's kind of where like. So me and my brother were uh, we were kind of that way when you're writing. You hate to be writing for somebody. Yeah. In the especially in the early days, I was writing for my brother. Like he was he was the audience I had in mind. And what kind of stories were you writing? Some of them were just travel stories, like kind of processing some of the incredible people I met on the journeys. Some of the amazing, like, because see, when you're hitchhiking, and for whatever reason, like I've got, like you say, I've like because of like my granddad, my mum, and that, I've got that kind of thing where folk feel comfortable chatting to us so i'd hitchhike with folk for like six hours through the outback and they just tell me all about you know how heartbreaking their last two divorces were and how hard they're finding it to stay connected to their first daughter and this is like this is great and so i, I used writing i think just to process some of these stories and yeah to, to try and understand what was going on a bit it's yeah, funny I got, though i think like the people that migrate towards you and do share their stories like perfect strangers. I tend to be that kind of person as well. As much as I love to blether, as you might have guessed, I do love to listen. And that, I mean, I'm literally just nosy. I just love hearing people's stories, hence why I started this podcast. <laughs> Aye, but you're totally right. Like, there's something about Scotland as well. Like, folk just assume that you're, you, they can treat you like a pal, fairly off. It's so yeah. joyous. That's probably about the best thing about us, actually, I think, is a nation in it. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, I was walking along our Broth High Street a couple of years ago, and some wifey I'd never met just come out of a tenement and says, sorry, sir, I'm needing the couch brought down for you upstairs. I was like, yeah, they bought. And me and my pals went up and helped her like, couch down at the street. Like, yep, yeah, sure. And off we went. <laughs> she was like, cheers, like, cheers. And it's like, she just came out and just assumed that somebody will help us with this couch. And it was like, ah, we, we, okay, we will actually help you with that couch. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> there's something, there's something... That whole cultural aspect is something I really like about being back here. Aye, and if you don't, actually don't get. So just go out in the street and lasso somebody into your house to move your couch. <laughs> Quite right. Quite right. So you're in the cafe and your brother's writing stories and you're writing stories and you're recalling all these memories from travelling and you're no finding work in the sense that the stuff that you want to be doing necessarily. But do you know what you want to be doing? I never, like, there was never any idea. Like, mm. so this, this is genuinely, so there was never any connection between me and Scotland's established middle class. So there's no way of me accessing any of those kind of funds. Like, grant funding, you know, arts funding, um, kind of, like, uh, sponsored writing workshops. That's no for us, you know. It's, it's, it's no, it's like, I mean, like how, how are you meant to find out about that? How, how are you meant to think... How are you meant to connect with it? Like it doesn't. Mean, I was like working part time at the pancake place, helping the, the extremely elderly get soup and a sandwich at the lunchtime. Didn't it? Good fun. Like no complaints at all. But what were you yearning for, or were you just kind of dealing with the cards that you've been dealt? Your horizons are that narrow when you're earning fuck all. You know, like your horizons are just. It's the next four days. It's the next five days. Like how can I get seventy quid together 
Um, so we can hear a night out and still get a taxi home and that kind of thing. Like, it's no... 70 quid probably even is less than that, but it's no... Right, it's like you don't want to put your head above the parapet any further than that. Well, no, it's just you, you can't. Like, it's, it'd, be, it'd be fantasy to say, what shall I be doing six months for now? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't I didn't get accepted onto the dry stain diking course at Angus College. That's a done. Like, when you're not, when you're, when you're not like this fucking... When you're not like to stack stains in our broth, that's when you can. That's when you can. Um, but no, so uh, like after that, I managed to get a job, just again, minimum wage, working for Historic Scotland. I was applying for everything at this stage, right? So I got two job interviews. One was uh, for Historic Scotland in Banff, and another one was uh, for a leisure centre in the Shetland Islands, right? Literally, I was applying for everything I could find. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Like, I just need work. Um, so I went up and got, and got offered the job up at, uh, in Murray, working at, a wee, working at a wee historic property. Yeah, so for there, I've managed to work there, enjoyed that, obviously chatting with folk and that. And Historic Scotland, after working for them for a year and a half, wrote me a letter for the university. In Scotland, there's a kind of backdoor route in uni. So if you didn't have any high school qualifications, but you have professional experience and a kind of, they'll vouch for you, you can get into um, you can get into the back door. Like, if you're 23 and dead, nothing with your life, the Scottish government will take a punt on you. So I managed to get into uni. Uh, I went up to Aberdeen Uni, and my life just changed for there, like... Because that's how you become a member of the established middle class in Scotland. Go to uni. That's mental, but... Oh, it's one of the uh, social mobility things that just worked. It was like an escalator oh. out, out of the gutter. Like, genuinely, just wasted away. Like, wasted away. And then you get on this, uh, you get this kind of wee uh, escalator system where it's just, here, go and, go and mix with a bunch of gorgeous European international students and, like, uh, folk that were posh but couldn't get to Oxford. Great. You are the kind of person, it sounds to me, that, you know, you embrace opportunity and you just say, I'll do that. I'll move that couch. I'll work for Historic Scotland. I'll write stories. I'll I'll do that. So you were moving yourself in the right direction. You just didn't realise it, maybe, necessarily. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yeah, go to uni was the thing. Like, I couldn't believe all the opportunities they lay on your plate at uni. So I was doing, I was doing all the societies. I was in the student newspapers, in the athletics, I was in the cycling club, I was in the, the hill walking society. See? You do? You just say yes, Devin. Oh, man, it was phenomenal. So what were you studying at uni? Uh, so I did uh, history with French and Gaelic. It was good. But I did my second year abroad in Geneva, uh, which was, again, what an opportunity. I had to lie today. Like, you hate to have a certain level of French, which I didn't have. And you could either do the test in Geneva or in Aberdeen. So in, in Aberdeen, I was telling them I did it in Geneva. In Geneva, I tell them I did it in Aberdeen and passed. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and just, so <laughs> you can do courses that are like six-month modules or 12-month modules. So I just did the 12-month ones and thought, I'll have, learned, I'll have learned French by about a third of the way through this. I'll start picking up there. <laughs> <laughs> so can you speak any French? No. I could by the end of that. So you, you've got a degree in your pocket. What's the next plan? Now, I'm trying to mind. Because obviously, obviously you'd asked us to come on the podcast and you'd asked us like about my career, like sort of career or whatever. Yeah. And I, like, I didn't, I didn't, I've never thought of myself as hey, a career. It's just like a, a collage of odd stuff um, with uh, kind of generic themes running through it. But I like, even when I was writing with my brother, I was writing Scott stuff and English stuff um, just as, as, I, as I fancied and doing a lot of, like, I mind uh, something that was actually quite impactful. Again, on the dole days, back in, uh, back in the, the good old days of the 53 quid a week, uh, I was in Brody Ferry Library looking for work, <laughs> and uh, somebody gave us a free book of poems, uh, which you, you could, like one of those uh, sort of grant funding things where some creative writing group had been 
Like, they got themselves some funding to print 800 poetry books that they wanted. It was called She Feeds the Sea, a series of poems inspired by the Dechte Burn, which is the burn that separates Dundee from Angus. And it runs for the Sidlaws, doing to put money feet. And there's a couple of poems in there, in Scots, that were just phenomenal. And, like, that one was like, that's what I was like, here, this isn't just the language for here boots. This is something impactful that I love. I love this mayor, because I read loads of poetry anyway, but I love this so much mayor than anything else I was coming across then. And I was like, well, this is this is this is my thing now. Like I'm I'm doing this. But it is that thing again, like I was on the dole in Brody Ferry Library on a Tuesday afternoon, like trying to get trying to get a free coffee out of the machine. The, the thing is, that's all it takes sometimes is just to be handed something and it just captures you and you know and I know the power of obviously the arts and Mm -hmm. it's power to do that but the power of language and how people communicate their stories and obviously the way it was it was done in that poetry and and Scottish just totally captivated you totally I'm trying because I've never discovered why the poet was or what the name of the poem is and I've never seen it again but I think I can still pretty much mind the poem that I sat and read so the Dicte Burn is this kind of like eight foot wide, fairly fast flowing burn that comes from. So the Sid Laws are used to be called the Sith Laws because that's like the fairy hills, right? That's where the fairies bide. So there's a lot of kind of folklore associated with them. And this poem's all about the fact that Dicte New runs down through this like kind of new build wimpy housing estate of like cultureless Devonshire houses that are like, bleh. All right, like maybe maybe the schemes weren't the best, but what is this? So my granny, my granny and granddad were Scots speakers, of course. Most of my neighbours were Scots speakers. My mum was always dead into Scots when we grew up. We did a bit of school. But as an adult, I hadn't appreciated the power of it in this kind of transformative way. My first bit of Scots published was when I was still working for a store at Scotland. It was published in a magazine called The Black Bitch. Um, it's, uh, the Black Bitch is a, a famous black Labrador that's the emblem of uh, Linlithgow. So I was working in, I was working in Lithgow. Uh, at Linlithgow Palace, based at Linlithgow Palace. And uh, I just, yeah, I got asked to write an article for The Black Bitch, the community magazine there. It was just about uh, the new cycle path for Edinburgh and Linlithgow they just opened. And I was like, well, like, Abdi and Lithgow speak Scots, I speak Scots, I might as well do the article in Scots. And the editor, who's an English boy, didn't, didn't, didn't even mention it. I just submitted it in Scots. He was like, oh, that's good. and just published it. And folk read it like, Oh, it's interesting about the cycle path and that. It was never remarkable for it to be in Scots. It was just like, Ken, Abdurin here speaks it, I speak it, like, it's fine to do that. Yeah. So it was never an act of resistance. It was just, I was like, well, I can do this, I can do, I can do English, and I happily write in English, and I can happily write in Scots. So that was, it was a very, um, I didn't, I didn't foresee the the friction that would come later down the line uh, yeah. where I work in Scots. I, I didn't, I didn't expect folk to be so weird about it. Well, the last conversation that I had on the podcast, which will have gone out by the time your episode goes out, was with Len Penny, who I know you also know. And we spoke about that resistance that she personally has gotten on Twitter for her use of Scots and for championing the Scots language and celebrating it and using it. And um, yeah, it blows my tiny mind <laughs> that people get so up in arms like about it, like it, oh. debating whether a language is real or no real <laughs> it's solid gold creepy behavior like because as you say she's just a young lassie doing good like there's no harm to it at all so i think part of it is like twitter's algorithms do are there to ferment discord 
because the angrier you are, the more invested you are in the platform, the more time you give to it. So they'll be showing Penny's videos to folk that will react worst to it intentionally. That's what the algorithm does to generate that that hatred. So we shouldn't we shouldn't take that as any kind of representative sample. It is a case Twitter is feeding itself through our uh, discontent. But also there is something about Scottish culture, man. We genuinely still didn't like young lassies speaking up. Like it's still there. It's still there. I hate it. I hate it. I've- so have you yourself? came across that friction in your own work or just that when you are talking about Scots language and celebrating it and using it, that people do have quite differing opinions about the use of it? So I I, I didn't get the same resistance she gets. I didn't get the same uh, discount me as an individual thing, like the sort of, uh, you're no worth anything. But uh, no, so I've, I've experienced a bit of resistance, but mostly, I think most of the criticism I've got has been largely I see where it's coming from and it's no it's no the worst thing in the world like I get so I've been criticized by folk for older generations because what I do is occasionally profane and it's often very pro-independence and I and it's like folk are kind of engaging what I'm doing and no liking it and okay there's a million and a half Scots speakers they're no gonna like it I've got a very like so the folk that I think of kind of saying my brother is somebody I write for um when I'm writing Scots stuff I'm thinking about um you know, uh, Karen and Ernie uh, were the parents of a best pal Rory growing up. They stayed out the back of Forfar. And I used to go and spend all my summer holidays with them. And they lived out, like they had a pig that lived in the kitchen. And they had like geese and seven labr- seven golden retrievers. And like they like he was uh, the sort of, what do you call it? Um, he worked on the estate of like some, a wealthy family. Uh, so he was kind of going about cutting down trees and doing roadworks and that sort of stuff. And they were just broad Scott speakers fabricating. And they are broadcast speakers, Rick, and I'm still very much in touch with them. And I think as long as what I'm doing, they're kind of my, my compass. As long as what I'm doing is roughly in line with something that makes them feel empowered and feel, make them feel good, then what I'm doing is all right. But a lot of people, obviously, particularly the Glaswegians, uh, didn't, get, didn't get it. They aren't exposed to uh, the culture of Angus that often. And that's all right. And it makes them feel uncomfortable. And there's a load of, there's a load of incels that just didn't like seeing... Uh, a young confident guy doing stuff at all and getting and getting the attention they feel they deserve. So there's a lot of there's a lot of young men that are fair, very different culture to me that feel threatened, and I say let them feel threatened. When you are a creative person and you are putting out your creative work into the world, you are obviously opening up for critique, good mm. and bad. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that shouldn't stop you from doing you do because you are essentially expressing yourself and like for you that to have that compass of that couple that you're like if I think they would be happy with that with that well that's fine with me and I think that's really important that's a great way to guide you in whatever you're doing like just like where are my values where did they lie if it fits within my values it fits within like I think they would be all right with this then great carry on (laughs) exactly that exactly that and it is that thing of like Criticism, like we're part of a living tradition, but we all like it's to be it's to be accepted as well that Scots is a language that is not in the best health. Like it is, it's in it's a language at risk. It is on the back foot, and we are part of a community that are trying to get a bit of, uh, a bit of fresh zest and make sure that it tacks its place at the table of an independent Scotland. Um, that Scots is like a cognizant part of the country we're emerging into. Because if you give Scots, if you give Scots. Uh, a platform and you give Scots a space the folk that speak it 
are rural and working class for the most part. They're urban working class or they're rural. They folk aren't very well represented in a heavily, heavily centralised Scotland that we exist in the day. They certainly aren't represented in the UK as we live in the day. If we make sure there's space for Scots voices, we make sure there's space for Scots speakers and they are minoritised folk. So by making space for Scots, it's a vehicle for like these uh, less privileged folk to get their get their voices out there. Like I was saying to you when I'd emailed you, I'd watched um, your documentary Rebel Tongue and just like was so impressed by your knowledge, by how passionate you were about the subject and about championing the language and the people and the stories and all of that can't be lost. And it's really, I think it's really important work that you're doing. And I've read more of your work online and um, also saw your BBC The Social videos as well. Brilliant. I did one there. I did one there. The first social video I did was an absolute pile of proper teeth like really very extremely <laughs> bad right and it was it was one of the things where i didn't really understand what i was getting into the producer that was doing it didn't let me do what i wanted to do so you've seen the social video i'm talking about scots right yep. so that was the even that i pitched they said you can't do that's too boring you hate to do something about night suit you hate to make it sexy for the young audience so i did this honestly this atrocious video where i sort of tried to shoehorn an academic scots thing into a night out and I sort of like did it in a pub with a cocktail and it was honestly awful. And I got scorched online for it. And it was like, but I was sat here like, fair enough. No, I, I, I hated it. You hate it. We're all, we're all on the same page here. I got the producer just to delete the video. So you can't see it online anymore. Um, that one, that's, that's in the archives, that one. <laughs> oh, oh, i tell you what though. Lessons learned. This is the thing, I guess, when you, like as an artist, whatever you're doing, you try things sometimes, you hit the marking sometimes you don't aye that's it and also just I wasn't that good at working with folk because I was used to just kind of writing on my writing on my own in the library so I wasn't that used to working as part of collaboration but you, you live and you learn you live and you yeah, absolutely do and in terms of like creative process do you have one if you're writing or if, you know if you're preparing for a documentary do you have particular things that you have to do I, I don't see myself as a creative I see myself much more like I've, I've quite a good uh, I can be quite a good kind of labourer for the language in that uh, I'm quite good, as you say, just kind of going ahead and getting, like establishing things. And I can see I can see that by getting, I was like the first person to have a regular uh, regular columns in the Herald in Scots. Uh, and like like sort of getting the documentary and that sort of stuff, it, it puts the foundations down that mere inspired folk can come and then build on. So you, like, I think I can like help build a platform like the the documentary it's all about me going around and gaining the platform to other folk it's all about saying tell us your expertise like put yourself out there it's all about saying listen to these scots voices because again come back to it misogynistic culture i am a kind of a, a 30 year old like a sort of stocky standard issue look like the guy on the front of the porridge oats guy right uh therefore folk are willing to listen to me and Listen, so I think, he was a heartthrob, so don't be <laughs> Right, I look like a sort of shite hungover version of him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but so if the folk listen to me because I am considered the hey legitimacy in our culture, right? Uh, so I can then use that platform to make sure that other voices then get heard and there's a proliferation of hundreds of different folks saying interesting things in Scots. And it's all about legitimising that vehicle of self-expression. I think that's what I can do that's most useful. The fact that you've acknowledged the power that you wield and the privilege that you have, I think, is very important. And that will allow your work to do the best it can do. So 
What have you been up to recently? Now, 2020, for some people, uh-huh. was a total write-off. Uh-huh. But for you, Alistair Heather, you were still a busy bee with the sounds of things. Yeah, no, I've got, um, I've got, uh, I, 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 genuinely, this is not, this is not to be known, uh, but I refer to myself in my head. I, I imagine myself as being like a low revving diesel engine, and I think I've just got to kind of keep chugging like a generator, like thump, 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 thump. Like I am not a Ferrari, I'm not a sports car, I'm nothing fancy, but I can just imagine myself just chug, 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 chugging away the whole time. And so I, no, I think like, you are just aiming for the next Pony Jokes advert for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in terms of uh, like hell or high water, I'll just keep doing my wee bits and bobs. So I during uh, for the start of lockdown, it's all been. It's all been working away. I mean, so something we're just waiting to launch, actually. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to come out, but I've managed to get community funding to get a bunch of Scots language classes looking at Dundee's Scots language, which will get a bunch of kind of cultural figures fair in the tune, hosting classes for people in the Maryfield regeneration area, which is like a big part of Dundee that's known the best nick. And it's about getting these working class folk that are my friends and neighbours to appreciate how vital and culturally rich they are and what what communicators of an ancient tradition they are to the present and how they should keep it going and saying, this is yours. Value it. It's all value. Like I was talking about the Dechte Burn earlier on that separates Angus from Dundee. Uh, the folk on either side of that burn speak exactly the same, but folk in Angus have an appreciation for their culture. Dundee folk have exactly the same, well, it's a different, slightly different, it's a mere urban culture and that, but it's effectively mm-hmm. the same, it's got the same roots, it's got the same traditions, but they didn't, because they've been raised to think of themselves, um, like they, they talk about their language here as being Ori, right? Uh, it's probably no phrase you've heard, but Ori, like, oh, keep it Ori, like, oh, he's dead Ori, didn't hang about him, Ori. It's an insult. It means rough, basically. But they associate their own language with being Ori, with being rough. It's like, it is Neiman. It's actually a, a beautiful, rich language with a tremendous tradition and a vibrant present. And you speak it and you're bilingual. It's it's a good thing to have. So it's about changing that mindset. Because obviously, like it has been it, it has been a pretty working class city for a long time. And that's good. But there's a shame. The working classes aren't as confident as they were. And we need to change that, I think. You are absolutely the human to do that, for sure. Like, I'm delighted that you've secured that funding like it's nice to hear that people are getting funding and that they're going to do good things with it well you say that i've got to be dead dead careful because i i do i do because i'm like quite weird like i i like i'm, I'm quite an odd guy like but i've lived abroad a long time and a bit of uni and all that kind of stuff so i didn't hear the same like i am the uh like that complete legitimacy and authenticity in these communities i am the fade undy i grew up genuinely slightly frightened of the tune so I am the, the legitimate person in these communities. That's how I've got to work with all these other cultural activists and writers and playwrights and stuff that are fade on D. Because I think that, I no, the, like the stuff I've been learning at uni, the stuff that I've been working in for years is de- definitely helpful. But you can't just brain in and say, here, use, listen to me, I can what's best for you. Because that's exactly the problem with a lot of these things. It's all about getting the right, um, getting the right people. But what you do have on your side is that you know the energy that you have the passion for it and your ability to bring people together and communicate a message and not everybody can do that like I've learned that in the dance world you can be the best dance in the world but in terms of teaching and delivering and educating and inspiring people to like speak their truth or to you know to come out their comfort zone that's a that's a whole other skill Alistair that you obviously have you know in your work and your passion will absolutely help others 
Well, that's, I think that's the reason I get away with it. It's because I, I genuinely care about it and because it's so fundamentally uncool. It's not like I'm trying to make myself into something, you know? It's like, <laughs> just like, actually, you're talking about Rebel Tongue, man. Um, so, uh, Rebel Tongue, my documentary about the Scots language, available now on the iPlayer. It's very good. I've seen it twice. <laughs> the star of the show for me was Evelyn Lottie up in Bucky. Um, and I'm a, sadly, she just passed away. So, spare oh, we no. thought, for, yeah, spare we thought for Evelyn up in Bucky. Absolutely. Like I called her a few times after. Uh, she was just like, we just used to blether on the phone together after recording that because, like, me and her, house on fire stuff. Like, so she was, she was an older woman, but she was absolutely sharp as a tack. Her chat was great, dead broad, kind of Doric, Bucky speaker. Um, and just the sort of person I'd like to be hanging about with Maya. And I just got a message for her family saying she's passed away. So thoughts thoughts with her. If you do, if you do go sit and watch the documentary, raise a wee glass to Evelyn because she's lovely. That is the joy of your work in the sense that you, the people that you're meeting, the stories that you'll hear, mm-hmm. surely you're collating them into a book. Absolutely not, no. But, um, I've always thought that I could be a tremendous success if only I had uh, any kind of scrap of memory in me. I think I've been cracked in the nut one too many times growing up or something like that because... I think in the, in the that, green... It was that balcony dive. It was. Well, oh, no, I got caught on that, Ian. But uh, the boy that caught me genuinely got a concussion, had to go to hospital. His name was Buick, and he caught me. And as I landed, he kind of got ricocheted back and smashed his head into a pillar. <laughs> so I know, yeah, he, uh, he was in a bad way for a while. Buick softened the blow. What a name, Buick. Buick. And he's, he's the size of a Buick and all. Huge, muckle lad. Um, but, yeah, so uh, in Greek mythology, mnemosyne is the mother of the muses. And the idea is that mnemosyne is the root source word for memory. And it's like memory is the first integral part of being inspired. And I genuinely think that if I had any scrap of memory, I could take over the world. And it's lucky for the rest of you that I didn't. But no, I just I didn't remember stuff. But no, I think, um, to be honest, in terms of career, I imagine myself to be a historian. Like, I worked as a tutor in history for a long time and doing my master's in history, just now do a lot of kind of writing about history and that kind of thing. Like, the Scots stuff, I didn't, that's just something that we need to be doing. Like, it's something that is, like, something like the sidecar that will ride through me, like, you'll ride with me through life. There's no career there. There's no, I'm just painting a community and that community is a wee bit threatened. and part of uh, re-establishing the legitimacy of that community is re-establishing the legitimacy of Scots. But in terms of my actual career, hopefully I'll be writing really boring histories about like uh, distilling in rural Angus in the 1700s. And, yeah, uh, that's, exactly. in rural Angus. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of thrilling stuff. <laughs> but that's important too. You are a multifaceted person who has many interests. Like when I say people and their passions, it can be plural. And they all feed into each other. You have many influences, many things, all the travelling that you've done, all the people you've met, all the jobs you've done, all the stuff you've written, all the parties you've jumped off balconies at. (laughs) It all feeds into who you are and what you're becoming and the, the stories that you will tell. I really like the way you speak. I like the things you say. They're very good. Wow, what a compliment from Alistair Heather. Thanks very much. <laughs> I love the fact you keep Sunday naming me, it's great. Alistair Heather. <laughs> I've been asked a few times if that's like a, a pen name. If, it, if you were going to be called anything, it's a, it's a decent name, it's a good name. Al- Alistair Andrew Heather. So my initials are, ah! <laughs> um, I love it, I love it. <laughs> Gosh, you're a fascinating human for sure you are the kind of person that you do want to meet at a party and just get lost in a conversation with for sure i'd like to meet you at a party purely because then we'd both be at a party mind them they were class 
oh my word, I'd love to, I mean, so I will be the biggest player there in the room, but I'll be last to leave. And I should probably start saying cheerio when I come in because it takes me that long because I have to go around everybody <laughs> in the room. <laughs> so I might be doing that for some time if we're at this party, but I'm sure we would take the time to have a lovely conversation. That would be amazing. On this podcast, I'm just learning like to listen to everybody and just take stock of like what they've done and what their dreams and aspirations are. And it, it's given me like... I should be more adventurous. I should be more broad brave. It's awfully difficult to be broad brave in a pandemic, though. Like, what you like? If you can't get more than five miles for the house, like, <laughs> genuinely, what are you meant to do? I'm because I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure. Like, I'm doing these uh, online Scots classes to hopefully try and bring folk together and establish networks, which will then thrive post pandemic. You know, but that's the joy of you know, and the privilege of having the facility to do stuff online. You know, I really feel for folk that have been like absolutely isolated, not having the means to be on the internet. At least with this, in the last year, I've been able to connect with people like yourself over the internet. Because prior to lockdown, I had done over seventy episodes in person, so I'd driven all over Scotland to meet actual humans face to face, and I'm thoroughly enjoying this. But I would much rather be in the room with you for sure Alistair like I want to get back to that but it's been a joy to still continue the podcast and continue that conversation and put out the stories because if I, I've built this week community this broad brave community and I want to as well as myself motivate inspire other people to like follow their passions and whatever and it doesn't necessarily need to be a career option it could just be like I've always wanted to play the ukulele going to just go and pick up a ukulele because time is short and waiting's long very heavily agree with all that. Like the main thing, like that I've learned as I get older is you didn't hate to be good at stuff to enjoy it. Good God, like it's absolutely fine to do stuff that you're no that good at, but you get a tremendous amount of pleasure in. Like there's definitely that's that is fine, and folk feel the feel the need to kind of perform to a really tap level. Like I mean, so any of the any of the folk that really inspired me with Scots is a man called Billy Kay. So he was a friend of the family, and he, like he was friend. Mind I said earlier on, like when I was uh, on the dole, there's no connection to the middle classes at all. And so that was all shut off to me. It was actually my auntie knew Billy Kay. And that was how I got connected to Scotland's established middle class. And without them, I would never have got brought into that hill world. It was, I did the Black Bitch article in Scots, right? My auntie seen that. She kept that Billy was at the Scots and showed him. Billy used his connections to get me a regular column at Bella Caledonia, which then got me a regular column at the National and the Herald. And genuinely, it was like one, you only need to get one person that's got connections and then you're, then you're there. But so Billy had this uh, album he did with my uncle called Ferguson's Old Reeky. So my uncle played the fiddle and he played a bunch of Edinburgh uh, 1700s folk tunes. And Billy read the poetry of Robert, uh, Robert Ferguson, which is uh, Rabbi Burns's kind of elder brother in the muse, as it were. So once your, once your listeners have enjoyed Rebel Tongue on the Eye Player, I'd heartily recommend buying, uh, Buying Billy Kay's mither tongue. It's very good. Absolutely. and But you're right in terms of, like, people will help you out. And I know earlier on we were talking about Twitterdom and people throwing shade and all the rest of it. But actually, for the most part, people are great. People are brought and they will do nice things. And if they see somebody passionate doing what they're doing and, you know, their intentions are there, somebody will reach out and help. Somebody will go up and move your couch for you. Absolutely. But I expect that. I, I absolutely expect that for folk. I like I I I I I'm happy with the way the expectation placed on me by that. But the whole joy of living in a community is that you can rely on others and be relied upon. One of the great joys about a human is the sense of being needed, and like 
feeling like you're a part of a community gives you that sense of like, if called upon, I'm here to move your couch, strange wifey. Like, <laughs> Ken, it was our broth. I was probably, I was most likely disposing of evidence for her. Like, now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's hard. That's hard. That should be your LinkedIn tagline, but I'll move your couch for you, old wifey. I know. I think that's uh, that's if things didn't go well for me, I'll start doing that. And amongst like all the highlights and all the experiences and opportunities, like is there one or two things that just totally stand out for you that for you just like sum up how brilliant it is to be Alistair Heather doing doing the things that you're passionate about? Uh, aye. I did a video, so I work a lot with my pal, uh, Josh Burcham. Uh, he's getting second named in that because everybody else is. Uh, and he he films. He films a lot. He does, he's a videographer as well as everyone else he does. So he uh, spent a lot of his life in Arbroath as well. And me and him made a video for the declaration of uh, Arbroath. Loved it. Oh, man. Genuinely, that is how I'd like to spend my life. Like, working with Josh, Mackin Angus history. That would be their life there's of course no future in that but in terms of things that i just thought that's what i love because josh makes it look phenomenal like it looks really good and it was just me and him working together getting everything filmed getting everything set up and there's that thing of working with somebody working with folks that are better than you are and care as much as you do like josh he can he won the prize for the best rabbit burns at school he loves scott's language he's dead informed about history and literature and that kind of stuff and he's phenomenal at working with his equipment so the pair of us just get along like a house on fire and I think if we didn't hate to bother making money, we could change the world. To be fair, though, when I was watching that video, I was like, "This is this is like a proper history lesson. This is what we sh- how we should be teaching." And again, it's like putting across your message. You can, you know, you're talking about selling stuff that maybe isn't that sexy. It is when you make it that you know when you're when someone is impassioned and knows about it and wants to know more then that comes across and that's how people learn. That's how those poems stick in your head because Mr Henderson obviously made an impression of you at primary school about Scots language because mm-hmm. he was obviously passionate about it and I think that's the sign of a good educator. No, 100%. Like, there's, uh, I've, been, I've been lucky to do loads of sort of stuff and worked, worked in various places with loads of great people. And But yeah, in terms of things we thought... Because usually I hate what I, like I hate the end product of what I do. Like I just get like really kind of uh, embarrassed by the sound of my own voice. Get really embarrassed about seeing myself on screen. Like it's a bit of a mentor. But that <laughs> the declaration of our growth, that was class, man. Like that's what it's all about. I love it. I will put a link in the show notes to it so everyone can find it. Oh, right, please, you. please. Ever, everything else that you you've done so brilliantly. So what's on the cards in the immediate future? Well, I'm going to finish my master's. I'm going to uh, do my dissertation about uh, whiskey in the Angus Glen. It's going to be great fun. You can all probably never read it. And I will, uh, I'm going to be doing the Scots language stuff, obviously. Got a couple of TV things that are uh, kind of in the process, but you'll hate to wait and, wait and hear about all that um, when it comes. But no, I'll just keep on keeping on. Hopefully, you'll just see a consistent stream of me getting really interesting Scots voices out there um, and helping change cultural discourse around the east of Scotland we attitudes to ourselves and our traditions and our heritage. I'm going to take you on to what was called for the last two years the thingamabobs. And I've realised, well, I realised quite earlier on that really it should have been called the hingamajigs. And I don't know why I called it the thingamabobs, but I feel like 2021 is the year to change it to the hingamajigs. These are just random questions that I've collated over the last two years that I like to ask of my bro brave guests, if you will indulge me. Fire away, aye. Okay, you clearly possess many talents, but do you possess any hidden talents? God, modesty, that's pretty well hidden in me, isn't it? Um, 
what what would be a talent? Oh, I can do. I can do, I can do a really good worm. I like a phenomenally overcommit to doing the worm. Are you saying this because this is a podcast and you're never going to be able they to prove it? it. <laughs> they can't see it. No, but like I really go in for it. Of like like sort of spraying wrists and stuff. Like really doing a big worm across like a packed pub. I mean, I could just say right now. Oh my word, it's amazing. Oh my, that's the best worm I've ever seen, and nobody would ever know. Aye, aye. No, that that, that surprise dancing. I feel like that that's what you would end up doing at the party that we were going to. I can't wait. That. I can't wait till we're at a party. Happening, it's happening. Um, oh, salt or sugar on your porridge? Salt. Oh, it does divide the nation. That one. It better. It better not divide the nation. They better get themselves tell. I mind almost throwing, almost throwing a proper hissy fit in a costa in Forres when asked for a bowl of porridge, and the the porridge they gave us was sugary with milk. I was like, right, you colonising bastards, get this right back down the road. Where's my salty porridge? I'm no a fan. Like I've got, I've got a series of opinions about that. I feel very judged. <laughs> you are heartily. Not that I don't enjoy it with salt, but I just do gravitate towards honey. Honey's all right. Honey's natural. See, thank you. Aye. I've myself. Hi, no, honey. Like honey, no, honey's a legitimate <laughs> product. Honey's I another thing. I was getting uninvited for the party there. Like, no, no, I, I did. I also harvest honey with us in Georgia. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> Um, favourite quote or mantra? None of this matters. Is it just this podcast or life? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, do, I find that really reassuring. I find it really reassuring that we'll all be deed soon and none of this matters. I find that really empowering. It means you can just be that, like on your, what was it, you were on a tractor chugging along? No, no, I, I physically am the low revenue You are engine. the tractor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tuff, 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 Yeah, but that, I guess it means you can just keep your foot off the gas, eh? No, like it's just that's a thing of like, I if you want to do something, hey, pop, because fundamentally you wouldn't be held accountable for your actions. Like Abdi that doesn't like it will be deed, and so will I, and it it literally doesn't matter. Like if you mean well, do do what you can, and if it like, just just try stuff. Just yeah, but yeah, none of this matters. That I find that really reassuring. I tell myself that a lot. It is reassuring. Thank you. Two more. Can you handle it? I'm loving it. <laughs> yes. Oh, questions. Right, maybe not two more than maybe several more. Oh, I have to ask you this one. If you could be fly on a wall, any wall, at any point, you could go back in time in history if you wanted to, which room would you be in and who would be there? I'd love to be uh, the fly on the wall when they're planning September the 11th. I'd love to know who was behind it and what happened. That'd be fascinating because I don't know what room that'd be. I don't know if it'd be in a cave in Af- Afghanistan with Sam bin Laden. That was the big event of my childhood, and it'd be fascinating to be there. Sorry, I keep coming up with really weird responses to your questions here. I can, well, there, I can is, there, is a tenuous, there is a tenuous link. That is my birthday. So that was my 19th birthday. Is that right? Yeah. It was a very odd one, yeah? Really odd. And Absolutely. that, like, was ab- we lived in the shadow of that for years. Uh, and it's still an event slightly shrouded in mystery um, for me. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to care a bit more about it. I'm all for the weird answers, by the way. I'm going to really try and answer Mare normally for this scene. Like, see, I tell you, like, I'm actually quite an odd guy. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky... Like, I was, I'm just oh, always oh. impressed that people have answers because I need time to think of, for, for any answer, not even a good one, just any answer. I'm like, the fact that you can be spontaneous and actually pull an answer out your back pocket is impressing me. So you can say what you like. 
That's it. That's it. Because Falkland again, you asked me to do this podcast a couple of months ago, and initially I listened to a few of the episodes and really liked what you were doing. I thought if I go on there, they'll find mute for the utter oddball that I am. And here we are. It's ten over an hour, but hopefully folk haven't listened this long. Carry on. <laughs> um, best day you've ever had. Oh man, I mean, there's nothing better than being in love, is there? There's nothing better than being in love. Um, so probably. You know, I've had a couple of great romances in my life. So almost certainly it'll be a day with a loving partner somewhere somewhere where we both feel safe and happy. And there's been, I'm, I'm lucky enough to say there's been a few, a few of those moments. So it'd certainly be that, you know. Love that answer. Love it. That wasn't weird at all, that answer. That was very nice. You brought yourself no. back up. You redeemed yourself there, Alistair. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the one. If, if anyone's listened to the podcast before, they'll know that I do switch up all, all these questions. There's like 70 odds in them. But the question that I do ask every single person at the end of the podcast is, what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Wished. Like, it's great. Like, it's absolutely great. Just wished. Like, if, if I could give myself one piece of advice, it'd probably be that. Well, it wasn't even if you were telling me to wish. No, no, no. It's just like, Ali, Heather, shut your pass. Christ almighty. Like, you've got logs. Use them. <laughs> Listen, you're blathering, it's fine blathering. And if you'd come on this podcast and wished, then it wouldn't have been this interesting. <laughs> no, you've given me a very, a very, uh, a, a, a great badge of legitimacy for my blathering this evening, and I'm grateful for it. <laughs> it's what it's what this podcast is made of. So thank you so much, Alistair Heather. <laughs> I've had an absolute ball. Thank you so much for joining the Brawbrief clan. Genuinely, um, I haven't ever agreed to be interviewed in this format before and I was dead nervous about it and uh, it didn't go weird till quite near the end. So, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. It was the hingamajigs that sent you overboard. I was wondering, I was swearing through this whole thing. Will that be bleeped out or is that just fine for your... It's all good. I've got an explicit sign. Somebody in 2019 said a sweary word and it was all over. I had to, had to go to the explicit world. Genuinely, my, my auntie comes doing us like a ton of bricks. She's the only person I think that actually uh, in, engages with my content. Uh, and she honestly, man, kept, like, I was t- talking about Karen and Ernie um, being the folk that I kind of have in mind. Um, mm. Like the folk that I kind of I fundamentally, I'm, I'm trying a lot of what I do is try to build a bridge back to the folk that I feel I became disconnected for when I moved abroad and went to uni. And um, so a lot of that is, a lot of what it is trying to reconnect. Because I think if they're, if, if there's a connection between what I'm doing and where they are, then what I'm doing is the right thing. But my auntie is just uh, the ombudsman for all my content. And uh, whenever I swear, she's like, oh, Ali, I saw you on the thing, but I really wish you hadn't said that. So if she's listened to this, I'm, I'm awfully sorry, Christine. Doesn't make you a bad person. You're just expressing yourself. Thanks. It's just words. Words. <laughs> but you, sir, are very much, you know, keeping the good words alive, and it's it's important work alongside everything else that you do. And like I liked that kind of analogy that you made about being a labourer, and I was thinking about you being an actual labourer in New Zealand, and then the foundations that you're building and the things that you're creating to leave a legacy but also those bridges that you're building towards a community that you obviously love and respect and want to champion and I'm gushing but it's all it's all great stuff so I totally wish you all the best and um, I'm I'm just delighted that we had this conversation 
I mean, no, I've loved it. I don't, like, that's all. That's all awfully kind of you. But obviously, nay, it's no one man's job. Like I'm doing this with hundreds of others. Like you've had Penny and that on. There's hundreds of mere folk doing great stuff. So I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm a drop in the bucket. Thank you, Alistair Heather, and I'll see you at the party soon enough. See you at the party. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.